0: This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Improve your development skills by completing coding exercises that are peer-reviewed by real humans. Learn more at Upcase.com. Let's do this thing. Bike shed. Cool. Bike shed. Number Episode two. two, they let us do a second one. I don't know why. Actually. <laughs> yeah, nobody actually asked. us. was <laughs> like, Tom, can,
1: can we do this? And he was like, oh, shit. Uh, yeah, I, I guess. I just threatened to hold the microphone hostage over here.
0: Hey, Sean. Hey, Derek. We got mail. Did we? <laughs> yeah. So I don't know how to say his name. Wylon Seagal? Wylon Siegel. Elon, maybe? Yeah, uh, he wrote into quiet. us to tell us that he was struggling following Sandy Metz's rule for instantiating one object for controllers. And we discussed this, I think, too. And basically, I think this is the one we were the most kind of willing to throw aside. But he mentioned he had talked with Sandy about this and that she offered a clarification saying that you could mention two class names in your controller and still
1: pass a single instance variable to your view. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, certainly one of the strategies you can make to do that too is have a service object which basically does nothing but instantiate and run other service objects. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a a small
0: variation on the original thing. It seems fine to me, I guess. <laughs> I still yeah. don't, it didn't change how I felt about, how I feel about the rule really is I'm, I'm not going to worry too much about that one. I do like the idea of passing a single instance variable because it, like we discussed on the show, it allows you to
1: extract these nice objects that have a nice API to them, but. Yeah, I think that's the important part of it. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for writing in, Ylan. And yeah. if anyone else wants to write in, that is hosts at shed.fm. That's right. So you recently got a big commit bit, huh? Yeah. Uh, I got added to the Rails committer team. I joined the issues team sometime this summer. I don't even remember when. So that was a big deal. Yeah, between the two of us, we have like 270
0: commits or so to Rails.
1: <laughs> I did so. look this up. You are, you're actually pretty, pretty high up there uh, considering have, the total number. You're, in like five, you're at 500 and something. I have six commits. <laughs> so yeah. Sean has 260 some odd commits. <laughs> how, did, how did that whole thing start? How did you get um, so
0: involved? Because most of your commits
1: are very recent, relatively speaking, right? Yeah, yeah. I've always sort of done minor minor stuff over time. The way it started was, uh, so back at RailsConf, there was a lot of talks that were basically rebuttals to David's, uh, we don't need TDD, and... Um, one of the other things he mentioned is uh, I don't really care about the surface area of the API of Active Record, et cetera, et cetera. Because right before RailsConf, there had been a lot of tweets going out that were like, hey, if you just have an Active Record based subclass that has no other behavior, it has 600 and something instance methods and 500 and something class methods. That's kind of big. And then Ernie Miller gave a talk about. Um, I'm actually not even sure what it was about, but one of the things he mentioned was one idea for for ways that that ActiveRecord could be broken up in terms of uh, separating attributes from the concept of a column and from the automatic schema detection that we do. And I'd also been thinking about this for quite some time. So like a month later, Aaron Patterson came into town to give a talk at one of the local meetups I go to, and I was talking to him afterwards about doing this, and he thought it was a good idea. So it turned out to be a larger undertaking than I had expected. And it took most of the summer to accomplish. And that's just sort of been ever since I did that, just so many other refactorings are possible. And there's just so much cleanup that can be done. So I've been chipping away at it. I'm of the opinion that just because it's a framework doesn't mean it needs to be a bad code base. And if we don't spend a lot of time working on internal APIs and maintainable code, then we're just going to end up stagnating because we can't actually adapt to changes in the internet like web sockets, etc.
0: Yeah, that's great. I remember we were chatting. We had like a a ThoughtBot dinner at RailsConf and we were chatting about basically providing some feedback to David's talk that we weren't (laughs) happy with it. And we were doing a lot of complaining. I think it was Joanne who was just like, well, why don't you guys just change it then? And, uh, you know, I said, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And you said, I'm going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: I I I delegated, right? Yes, um, yeah. I mean it's it's. I feel like it's a it's a reasonably decent use of my time. I know just within Thoughtbot, right, like seventy some odd people who use this thing every day, and all of whom have problems with it at one time or another. So I think it's valuable for us to have someone who can just like, hey, I'm having this problem. This is working wrong, and then I can just go fix it for them. So
0: these these things that you embarked on, are we going to see? Are these in Rails four two o, which is currently as we record this is beta four, but will soon be, hopefully, release candidate one.
1: Yes, we're hoping to release this right around the same time as the RC. So sort of. So the API is there and mostly done. I call it the attributes API. Um, you can see the source of its very small file. It's active record slash attributes.rb. It is not an official feature of 4.2 and it is not public API in 4.2. And it's not because the API is necessarily going to be unstable. In fact, for the majority of people out there, I would say it's relatively safe to go ahead and start using it right away if you really wanted to. The main reason it's not public is that it's still implemented in terms of with the columns hash, which is public API. And I don't want people to rely on the fact that we're doing that because I don't want to continue doing that. But it's still a little ways out from us being able to separate those two concerns entirely. It kind of requires restructuring all of how we build SQL queries. All right. Well, that sounds fun. But so yeah. you've been
0: beating this uh, test your apps on Rails 4.2 drum for a while. And uh, I finally got around to it today or last night and a little bit this morning. The first thing I had to do, I have no actual current Rails 4.1 apps that I'm working on. So I went back yep. maybe eight months or so and found this found this app that I had done. And uh, it was a 4.0 code base. So I figured, okay, this is going to be pretty easy. And so I started bundle updating things and then quickly found that I was getting all sorts of errors from RSpec. So the first thing, if you are planning to upgrade to 4.2 and you are an RSpec user, I think the first thing you need to do is update to RSpec 3.1 because that's where, or RSpec Rails 3.1 anyway, is where yeah. the, that's where the compatibility with Rails 4.2 kicks in. So start there and then
1: uh, start bundle yep. updating Rails, right? Yeah, and if you're coming from 4.0, you're also going to need to open up your spec helper and add active record migration dot maintain test schema bang because we got rid of the t- db test prepare rake task. It's gone to in- entirely? Yeah.
0: It's no longer just deprecated, it's just it's just gone, huh?
1: Well, and even in 4.1 it was deprecated, but right. it's just it stopped working for me. So yeah. I don't know if it was ever supposed to keep working. Unfortunately, the maintain test schema thing also doesn't work for me. So the, the reason it wouldn't work is it can't detect if you change a migration or if you roll back a migration. But if you're only adding new migrations, it should work fine. But I, if it... I mean, as part of developing a migration, I test my migration by migrating up
0: and then migrating down and then tweaking as necessary, right? So that's where I end up having to drop and recreate.
1: And I, I agree with you. But uh, the people who worked on that feature don't share that use case, I guess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so... I continued
0: with my upgrade. It was actually pretty easy. I just had to bundle update some various gems that just kept hitting, like, SAS Rails need to be updated to the latest beta, things like that, um, which are pretty typical, I feel like. Um, there's something about SAS Rails that must be pretty coupled to how things are being done in Rails internally, because I feel like every time there's an update to Rails, it requires a, a bump on SAS Rails side, but I'm not sure what's going on with that. But
1: Yeah, well, we maintain SAS Rails as well. So we just we we bump you know whatever we've changes we've done there we always update our gem spec to point at the latest SAS rails as well. Okay, so mostly everything
0: worked with the notable exception of this core. Um, the application works with reserving things in this case tennis courts, but at the heart of the application is a query that tells you whether or not something's available uh, a tennis court is available to be reserved, and that query got kind of nasty, so we weren't able to write it in just straight active record. So Josh Clayton and I worked on the query that drops down into ARL for a bit and rails 4.2 didn't like that
1: well so the big thing wasn't that you dropped down into Arel, right it was that you were specifically caring about how relation interacts with ARL exactly that one would have broken on 4. one though i think mm, did you ever... i did up to, i did stop at 4. one and 4. one. the test passed so okay then i guess <laughs> i'm wrong
0: <laughs> so anyway this is this is a lesson to everybody to uh try the upgrade <laughs> yeah check things out i don't think that what we hit is a rails bug i think it's just that we were using some part of the api that isn't particularly uh meant to be used externally it's not yeah (laughs) yeah it's it's maybe private sure Um, um so, yeah, I mean, nothing starts with an underscore, right? That's
1: the that's the, <laughs> the Rails convention for things that are public that you shouldn't actually be using? No. but <laughs> No. Um, actually, and I didn't know this until pretty recently, too, the way you can tell if something's public is if it's listed on api.rubyonrails.org. Okay. But, yeah, no, and even if it's not necessarily something you think is a Rails bug, um, generally speaking, going from 4.1 to 4.2 should be a, a relatively painless upgrade for people. So... If it's painful for you, we want to hear about it, even if it's because you're using some private method. That may be something that's impossible for us to help you with. It may be something that is a relatively minor change on our part, but we don't want upgrades to be painful for people. And the only way that it cannot be painful is if people tell us what their pain points are from testing it before we release. Right. And I I feel like with every Rails release, there's some corner of the
0: Rails ecosystem that gets all up in arms saying, how could they release this? It's totally broken. And uh, <laughs> it wasn't like they released it knowing it was broken. Um, right. So try it out. You know it shouldn't take you anything more than if you're already on RSpec three. If you're an RSpec user and you're already on RSpec three one or whatever, it shouldn't take you any longer than you know, twenty minutes to try it out at least um, and get an idea for what's going to happen. So I was looking at like what are I was looking at what what do we get for this bump to four two? And I think the biggest thing to me is adequate record. Um, which is the thing that Aaron Patterson worked on. Uh, He was on the Giant Robots podcast that we do, which we can link to in the show notes. The show notes will be at bikeshed.fm slash two. And, you know, you can can listen to that episode there. Um, But he talks a little bit about adequate record there. But basically it's a 2x performance increase
1: along many popular queries that you'll be doing in your app. Do you know more about that? Yeah. Um, So specifically what happens is whenever you call find or uh, find by, well, not every time you call find by certain cases where you call find by, we will cache the SQL statement that gets generated because the actual string that goes to the database for those cases doesn't ever change. We have switched basically across the board to always using prepared statements. So that's why if you look in your logs now, you don't see where id equals three; you see where id equals question mark, and then we pass in the three separately to the uh, to the database directly. Um, as a result of that, we don't have to go through ARL. We don't have to build up a relation. We just look in the cache and say, hey, for this thing that we wanted to do... Actually, we still be, we do still build the relation, I think. I'm not sure. Anyway, we, <laughs> we, we can skip a whole lot of work that we're doing and basically just have the, the SQL string. Um, and then we just have to go in and replace the values that we're passing in for the bound parameters. And, it, yeah, it's a huge improvement in that portion of it. So
0: it's akin to what the database gets out of prepared statements in the first place. Ruby is now getting out of this cache of the generation of those prepared statements. Right. So like a prepared statement on the database level saves the database engine from having to create a query plan all over again because some parameters changed. At least that's my understanding of it. So you're getting the same thing out of on the active record side now where you're caching the actual prepared statement
1: based on the inputs. Exactly. And then we were not using prepared statements up until semi-recently. So that was one of the reasons we weren't doing this before is just that is a prerequisite. The string has to not change. And Aaron has a good blog post from when he was starting to work
0: on this that shows a very interesting graph of performance dating from Rails two, three days when it was actually relatively fast up to like Rails four, one when things were getting kind of progressively slower. I think maybe maybe in Rails four it got slightly faster again, but never back to the Rails um, two three days. And now we're back there and better in some cases. Yeah. So that's a big thing. The other thing they're billing I see in like the the Rails four two beta one announcement that I'm looking at here, another big thing they're billing is active job, which is I think this was first slated for Rails four or something and was pulled out.
1: It looked very different back when it was supposed to be in Rails 4, but yeah, it's meant to basically just give you an API that all Rails apps use for background jobs. So it doesn't matter if you're using Delayed Job, Rescue Sidekick, Backburner, Q uh, Classic, Q U Sneakers, <laughs> now whatever you just, the now you're just making up. No, I'm really not. We support basically every possible background job library you can imagine, and they all just have the same API now. Yeah, I looked at this a little bit last night. So basically, this does for background jobs what
0: ActiveRecord does for your database store, right? So you're, you're now agnostic about what your actual... Your application
1: doesn't have any knowledge of what your actual um, background job processor is, I guess. exactly, And you're going to have the exact same trade-offs. So if your particular uh, background job implementation has special feature, you're not going to be able to rely on it. All we allow is queuing jobs, named queues, queuing jobs to be run at a later time. That one's only for adapters that support it. Sidekick, for example, can do batching. You may be able to do that and use ActiveJob, but you won't be doing it through ActiveJob. Okay. I did look at the API a
0: little bit last night. It kind of reminds me of mailers a little bit and that things mm-hmm. are, are class-level. Like, you write these instance methods that are exposed on the class somehow, magically. Yeah. Which is a little weird. And the method they used was called perform. Um, perform or perform later. Right, rather than, like, call or something, which would be a little more flexible for, you know, injection purposes during tests. But I don't have a huge problem with that, I guess. But the the class-level stuff... Happening magically was very reminiscent of mailers, which it 's not as bad as mailers from what I can tell, but right. <laughs> you know if you 've ever written a, ma- a mailer before you know you write these instance methods, but then you call them as class methods, which is kind of odd and um, magical and we have callbacks don 't worry we didn 't leave those out <laughs> <laughs> of course you have callbacks on active job you 're saying so you can yeah. say after this after this job actually finishes, go do some other job uh,
1: yeah there was a there was a big Oh, we also have class level rescue from because we need that as well. There was, there's a lot of hubbub over it. The The use case for callbacks is basically logging and instrumentation. And the use case for class level rescue from is if there's serialization errors that come from basically rails, which you would think the user wouldn't see. It's also backed by a new thing called global ID, which is sort of meant to be a semi-human readable way to encode active record objects just with the the class name and the ID, Using URIs, which should be helpful for debugging. And you can easily use outside of ActiveJob. I, th- I think we actually ended up not even merging into Rails Master. I think we just kept it as a separate gem. Yeah, that's at Rails slash global ID on GitHub. That's there. Yeah. I was looking at that a little bit last night as well. What else? What else do you like about 4.2? Well, uh, one of the other things that's closely related to ActiveJob, we've got Action Mailer Deliver Later, which is right. deliver a mail through ActiveJob. And it works more or less exactly like you'd expect. If you configure nothing, Active job
0: and this act and active mail or deliver later. They just it's it's akin to doing it synchronously,
1: correct? Correct. Yeah. We did not change deliver to be async by default. There is talk of maybe going through a deprecation cycle and having deliver be asynchronous in the future and then ha- having a method called deliver now if you wanted it synchronous. But um I don't think we ever made a decision on that. And it didn't happen for four point two. It was surprising to me once
0: I actually got onto an application that had good enough metrics to, or good enough tooling to see what was taking up time during an application. It was surprising to me how long sending an email takes. Oh, yeah. Um, so basically, anytime you're sending an email, you want to be doing it in the background.
1: Well, and then, it, like, if an email failed to deliver for whatever reason, you don't you don't want the entire request to fail. Right. Yeah, so we also added uh, the web console gem. Yeah, I saw included. that. that was,
0: that's That's pretty cool. So if you've used, like... Is this is I haven't actually used the web console gem, but I've used better errors with binding of caller in there, yeah. which gives you like a navigatable stack trace where you can you know, type things into a console. So is this basically similar but with
1: the Rails default error pages? Uh yeah, pretty much. Uh I don't think it's binding of color. I think you just get a Rails console. Um I'm not sure if it actually opens up with the right binding. And then you can also have it mounted in development mode, so you can go to a web page and run the Rails console through your browser because I don't know. Well, I think
0: I was reading a little bit about that, and I think one of the nice things will be if you are in a situation where you're starting up a few apps with Foreman or something like that, mm, yeah. being able to get into a console that way is very nice, whereas if you were doing, if you were doing something like with Pry, you'd have to do like Pry in that
1: situation, Um yeah. a little more clumsy. Um, most of the time I just opt not to do it. I could also see it being useful for people who deploy to things other than Heroku for staging environments. Yeah, I could use that. The project I'm on right now doesn't have, isn't a standard Heroku environment. It would be
0: really nice to be able to get a console, but there's a lot of hoops to jump through to get production access, things like that. I mean, I, it's probably a bad idea to have this enabled in production, but staging. <laughs> yeah. Staging maybe, even staging, you know, maybe
1: not. But Hopefully you don't have, like, critical data on your <laughs> staging server. This is true. Foreign keys are the other one. Oh, yeah, one. I know you'll be keys. happy about that one. I love foreign keys. Uh, One of my big things
0: is trying, like, ever since I started with Rails, it bugged me how Rails encourages this moving away from putting constraints in your database, like, because there is this impedance mismatch between your application code and the database. If you want to have good constraints, you're kind of forced to implement them in both places. Um, I mean, you can just implement them just in the database, but that's kind of a crappy user experience in the end. But if if you put them in both places, you end up getting a lot of protection that you're thinking right now that you don't need, but ultimately you will be, at some point, if you're on a project long enough, you will be saved by a foreign key being somewhere, I can guarantee that. So, oh, absolutely. Uh, I've been using Foreigner on just about every project. There's another another one I can never remember, we'll put it in the show notes when I look it up, that basically scans your application and generates a Foreigner migration for you. Ooh. For anything that's missing for foreign keys. But we had we had a situation where, through some unfortunate series of Mistakes, there was a uh, database cleaner ended up getting run against a production database. Um, (laughs) That could be bad. Yeah, that could be very bad. But the fact that there were foreign keys saved almost all of the data. The places Mm -hmm. where it didn't save the data, we were able to restore from a backup. It wasn't a huge deal. But the places where it didn't save the data were polymorphic relationships, which the database Mm -hmm. doesn't know anything about. So um, a foreign key can't really be added there. You could probably fake it with some sort of constraint and a trigger but um, that's a lot more complicated so if you've ever used foreigner the foreign key support added to rails 4.2 i think is identical basically
1: yeah uh, i know the implementation was inspired a lot by foreigner and the foreigner guys were very active on the pull request when it was open yeah i saw that pull request and i think at
0: the end he's, he basically just said he's glad to not have to maintain this anymore yeah <laughs> Rails will maintain it now moving forward
1: no, and it's one of those just, and it makes sense as well. Gems like that, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not sure that foreigner did, but gems like that tend to have to uh, rely on internal APIs because we don't make the public APIs available to do everything gem maintainers want to do, and that's why every gem breaks whenever we release a new version of Rails. That's just one of those. You should be using foreign keys, so now they're there, and I believe we generate them by default too. If you use, if you use uh, references, yeah, if you use references or belongs to. Cool. All right. We'll look into that. A couple other smaller things. There's,
0: like, it's easier to make custom application-level configuration in your applications. Have you seen this one? Yeah, config.x. Yep. Config.x for extensions to your configuration, basically. So if you want to have custom configuration values, that's pretty easy to do now.
1: What else? Well, I mean, there's some really minor ones. I've been loving, uh, once the blog articles have started coming out, like, the lesser-known features of 4.2. I'm like, hey, half of those are mine. (laughs) All right, well, what are your favorites? So my personal favorite is a new method we had to active support, which I was, I was going to call map values, but we already ha- had a method c- called transform keys, so it's called transform values, and it is for when you have a hash, you would like to apply a function to every value of the hash. The keys stay the same, and you want to hash back out. So it's like map over a hash? It's like map over a hash. Like but it's, it, the, the block only takes the value, and, you don't, and it returns a hash. You don't have to wrap it in hash square brackets or do each with object or manual assignment are, I think, the three ways that you do hashes because, you know, map returns an array on hash. right? And it was just one of those within ActiveRecord and also within application code, I just found myself very frequently, like, having a hash of stuff, and I wanted to do a transformation on it. Maybe it was a hash of ActiveRecord objects, and I actually wanted the IDs. So then I can do transform values, ampersand colon ID, no problem. Cool. Oh, so one of the things that we removed that I actually use all the time is class level respond to and respond with. So this is a thing where you just say respond with this record. And then like if you're in a create action, it checks for errors and will either re-render the new action or redirect to index automatically. Right. And those use use responders under the
0: cover. And there's like a default responder that knows if you're an index action and it's a JSON request, do this. If you get an error and it's a HTML request, re-render the form. Um, it knows to do those kinds of things, right?
1: Yep. And basically, one day, DHH decided we don't want this in Rails anymore. So, um, Platformatech maintains a gem called Responders, which added a bunch of features to respond to, respond with. So, it is now a feature of that gem and no longer in Rails. So, if you use it, you'll need to add the Responders gem to your gem file. Right. And to be clear, like, we are talking just about the, the
0: class level respond to. Within your actions, you'll still be able to do respond to, do format.html right. yeah that's right.
1: that's that's all still there
0: it's just the class level respond to method followed by the respond with inside your actions exactly yeah i feel like when i could get respond with to work with the default responder things worked really well and i liked it a lot but there were cases where it didn't work with the default responder and i had to go back to the action level respond to stuff um yep. often enough to kind of make jumping back and forth a hassle so i don't i mean I'm going to miss the idea of it, and I. what really we probably should have been doing is creating the correct responders to use in those various situations and using them in the right controllers or something. But I'm going to miss the idea of it, but in practice it's probably not going to affect me a ton.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's personally okay for it to handle the default case, and then if you need something else, there is a lower-level API that you can fall back to. Right. Which I wish we did in more places. But yeah, so that one was interesting at the very least. Oh, I forgot my personal favorite feature: skip turbo links. Skip turbo. Oh,
0: right. You can now when you're when you're generating a gem when you're generating a Rails app, you can now pass dash
1: dash skip gem. I think is what it is, right? Uh, we got rid of skip gem oh. and we replaced it with just skip turbo links. <laughs>
0: <laughs> So there is. So I can't skip any other gem other than turbo links. <laughs> well, yes. I, I mean, I guess you can skip Active Record if you do like without Active Record things like that. But
1: yes. Uh, okay. <laughs>
0: And that, to be clear, saves you from having to open the gem file and delete Turbolinks.
1: And also change data Turbolinks track, taking that off of your CSS and JavaScript tag and removing it from application JS. Yeah, I mean, sure, but that wasn't going to hurt anything
0: if you left it there.
1: Eh, Yeah, Uh, no, it wasn't. But, (laughs) you know, it's one of those things everybody does it when they start a new Rails app. So now we do it for you. And if you forget that you have
0: Turbolinks enabled and you're trying to use some jQuery library that's not aware of it, which is almost all of them, you're going to get bit by this. So yeah. Um, interesting that a flag was added for
1: skipping Turbolinks rather than just removing Turbolinks from the default gem file. But I mean, it's just one of those we know we're, ne- we're not going to win the this should not be in Rails by default argument, but nobody actually wants it. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and one of the just more exciting things, I think, in 4.2 is because of what essentially became a rewrite of how we handle attribute assignment and dirty checking and basically everything related to assigning and saving and querying for attributes in active record. There were entire classes of bugs that, that went away. Um, a lot of these are going to be those little cases that you may have run into and not thought anything of over the last however many years. I was just like, oh, that's rails being quirky, this cast wrong or this didn't do the query right. But if I call 2s on it or I put wrap this in an array or do whatever it works, so I'm just going to do that and then nobody ever thinks of it. There are just so many of those that are gone. Like little edge cases, for example, serialized attributes, if you if you ever use those, it used to be the only way to do like an array, save an array or a hash. And one of the things is that when you query against it, right, we have to take whatever you gave us um, for the query and serialize it so we can do the equality check in the database. That didn't work if you did that as part of a joined table. So if you did, like, let's say you serialized title on post for some reason. So you could do posts where title is whatever, but you couldn't do user.joins post where posts.title equals whatever. We, just, we wouldn't serialize it, and you would never get back a record. Now we do. If you ever had to use willChangeBang on an attribute because you mutated it, so if you, this is especially important if you use arrays or hashes, where in Ruby it's considered idiomatic to mutate those, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: One of the things is that we only save attributes that you've, that you've changed, and it used to be like you would have to go through a setter, or you'd have to call this method, uh, whatever the attribute name is, underscore willChangeBang, and that tells us that you mutated it, and we should save it. We detect mutations automatically on all of the types that can be mutated now. Good. So it sounds like nailed down a lot of
0: corner cases in addition yeah. to things being much faster, which is always a bonus.
1: It's just one of those, like, once you break things into small classes and specifically classes, not modules that are included, but classes that have an isolated concern and don't get a reference to Active Record, like, all of these little things that we were doing wrong become so trivially obvious to spot because you didn't have to hold the context of all of Active Record to understand how we handle strings. Cool. That'll make things easier for people to jump in on as well and
0: make um, improvements. Because I know every time I try to get involved in something active record related, like the last change I made changed the order of a key, of an index, sorry, of a database index that gets created when you create a polymorphic association and a migration. Mm -hmm. And I was, like, really happy with the change. And then somebody was like, oh, you forgot uh, this whole half of the change over here, which is (laughs) completely duplicated code that you need to change (laughs) twice. I was like, um... (laughs) Well, I knew the right thing to do would be to extract something that does that once, right? But um, What was the half that you forgot? Was it schema dumper? No, I forgot you can add it through references, and then you can add it through some other... Belongs to? Belongs to, I think, yeah. Yeah. And so the the code is duplicated both places. Um, Wait, those aren't aliases? uh, Maybe. I'm not sure. I'll have to... Let's see. I'm going to look this up right now. All right. Let's see. Rails contributors. (laughs) As an aside, if you go to Rails... Is it railscontributors.com? Contributors.rubyonrails.org. Okay. I just always Google for Rails contributors. That works too. But um, there's a link that says C names mapping, which takes you to this file mm-hmm. on GitHub, which is super, <laughs> it's like, w- there's a lot going on in here, but it basically maps, it looks like commits and names and things like that. But uh, I looked yeah. at that briefly today because I was wondering what
1: was going on there. Um, anyway, let me search for my own name here. All right. Here's the commit also need to patch the references method. Yeah. As opposed to...
0: Also, just look at the code, look at the code there. Like, there's, like, nested ternaries with a, trailing oh, con- yeah. with a trailing conditional. And it's one of those things, like, I, I looked at and I was like, oh, I want to change this, but that would require unpacking exactly what's going on here. And I know if I just switch type with ID here, it does exactly <laughs> what I want it to do. And I'm going to put a pin in this and I'm going to come back to it and it'll be my next Rails commit where I'll just...
1: Fix oh, this. it's existing table. It's it's when you're adding to an existing table versus uh, creating a new table. Okay, right. So That's I had where to, it was duplicated. <laughs> so I had to make the same change
0: twice there. Um, yeah. And, like, I knew at the time that I shouldn't be making the same change twice. I should, you know, farm this off to some something that knows how to do this and use it in both places if I need to. But, That's not easy to do. <laughs> right. That would require knowing exactly how all this code is used everywhere because there's a lot of responsibilities for each one of these things. So breaking that up, I think, is going to make it a lot more approachable for people to get involved and make small fixes that are big wins for everybody.
1: Yeah, no, that, that schema everything, schema dumper in particular, but also schema creation is, is very much a ghetto. It's high up on the list of things that need some attention. It's, schema dumper in particular cares about the internals of everything. Just about every change I've ever made r- broke schema dumper. <laughs> An XML serialization for some reason. One of the things like when, when Aaron was on giant robots,
0: one of the things he talked about was like, wouldn't it be great if we just spent like a year or two years just like like we didn't add any new features? We didn't change anything. We just made everything better. Like we made it faster, we made it error less. we made it you know easier for people to contribute to, whatever the case may be. And I think we're definitely seeing new features come in, but with the work that you've been doing and others like Aaron, you know I think we're getting some of that too, which is is good.
1: Well, my idea of a feature is you can now do this thing that we also do, but you can do just that little piece of it without all of the other stuff we do. And then you can compose all these pieces we built our stuff into, and you can make your own really cool APIs by just composing these lower-level APIs. which are now public, so gems can stop breaking every version.
0: Right, yeah. That'd be great. There are definitely little times where I've wanted to be like, oh, I know Rails does this internally. Why don't I just have a public API to do this? And now yeah. I know somebody who can commit these pull requests for me.
1: I'm so happy. <laughs> 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 yeah, we, can, we definitely can abuse some power here. <laughs> You're going to lose that commit pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, the only, so the only thing I can't do is I'm, I'm not allowed to make API changes. Like anything that affects public API I can do internal stuff. Um, and I can open pull requests and comment on okay things. So but there are no rules to your API. commitment. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think core members. I'm, I mean, I'm assuming someone's allowed to make API changes, but even core members tend to open pull requests if they're actually modifying the public API. Right. Yeah. I would expect that you would commit. You would open a pull request for everything, and not just smash things in. But yeah, no. Like the 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 attributes API is a perfect example of just. Hey, we do this thing where we create attributes, but they're not just adder um, accessors. They have additional behavior because they have types, and you can ask them if they changed. And boy, wouldn't it be great to be able to do those? Um, actually, my end goal is to move these onto Active Model. That was going to be my next question: Is can I do this from Active Model? Because I had a need to do exactly this type of thing this week. So. No, Vertus will do it for you right, right. now. That active Model the... doesn't yet. Right. One of the long-term goals I have is actually to deprecate the idea of Active Model like it's still it'll still be a thing but it won't be the api that things expect so you won't have the form builder expect the quote-unquote active model api because active record now internally is actually a really crappy implementation of the data mapper pattern and all of the interesting behavior lives on two classes called attribute and attribute set and uh it occurred to me when i was looking at a issue on simple form recently that attribute set actually encapsulates pretty much everything the form builder needs to do its job with an API of 16 methods. And it doesn't have a reference to the connection adapter. It doesn't have a reference to an active record instance. It's just a small, isolated thing that has a much nicer API and doesn't have 100 public methods that you have to implement for it to work with the form builder. So that's awesome. Because like, that's exactly as I was creating this
0: active model, basically just so it could be used nicely in a form. I was like, why do I have to do all this act? Like, all I want is for it to know that there are these attributes that have these names so I can do. F dot text field attribute name. Yeah. That's all I want to do. And now I've got to figure out what the heck the I mean, I'm still on Rails three, so I have to figure out which include like I can't just include active model model and be done with it. I've got to figure out right. I have to go look up active model model and then
1: copy that into my active model class. Um, which is what I did. So yeah, I remember back when we backport back when we were waiting for Rails four to come out and we were backporting I really really
0: liked that because then when Rails so like when when we were on a Rails three, two, whatever app right before as Rails four was in beta and release candidate, we knew we'd be upgrading to Rails four in the lifetime of this application that we'd be working on it for anyway. And so what we started to do was add shims for the simple behavior like find by and find by bang and active model model so that we could just start writing those today. And then when we upgraded to Rails four, we just removed those modules. And it was it was pretty cool. Nobody else seemed to appreciate that much when I told them about that. Though they all kind of nod. It's like, no, you should. This is really cool. <laughs>
1: but, yeah. Well, and then we still were stuck back in the dark ages for a little while because we were using all kinds of gems that didn't work. Or mm-hmm. we periodically got a branch from Matt that was. Uh, is, it, can we can we use Rails for? Is that even a thing yet? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Um, um, sorry, I will I will ramble about Rails literally until you <laughs> tell me to stop. So. Okay. Hey, one of the things I wanted to do was we have really cool podcast art, I think,
0: for the Bike Shed. Yeah. And I wanted to say thanks to Rachel Cope and Retta Lemiden for uh,
1: working on that for us. I think it looks really, really sharp. So Yeah, absolutely. To it came out really great. Thanks a lot, guys. Yep.
0: So is that a wrap? I think that's a wrap. You can find the show notes for this episode at bikeshed.fm. As always, ratings and reviews on iTunes are much appreciated. Thank you for listening to the Bike Shed. We'll see you next time.